The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. I just returned from hosting, conducting, talking to about 55 thought leaders, SAP executives, partners, customers at Orlando for SAP Sapphire Now 2017. A terrific opportunity for thought leaders and innovators to get together. And right now we are here live with Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future Radio. And during one of my conversations at Sapphire, I remember looking at the guest and saying, you're talking about smart cities, aren't you? And we did a, we kind of did a segue there. So this was one of our topics we covered. So let's see what we're talking about today. Oh my goodness. I have an interesting quote. We call it the buzz when we open the quote from a young man, very young man, born 1984, named Alex Dimitrov, D-I-M-I-T-R-O-V. What caught my attention about this is that he's a graduate in 2009 from Sarah Lawrence College, where I spent part of my college years in Bronxville, New York. He is the author of the 2012 online chapbook. I didn't even know what a chapbook was. American Boys. Here's the quote. I'll never get over the fact that the buildings all light up at night. So what are we talking about here? We're talking again about smart cities and smart lighting. Let me tell you a little bit more. How can we brighten the lives of our increasingly dense populations? Given projections, we say them all the time on this series, that more than 70% of the world will live in cities by 2050. That's a statement and a question altogether. Energy-efficient LED lighting is the answer. What is it doing? It is already transforming urban lighting infrastructures into pathways. Those pathways are collecting and sharing data, and from that data come insights, smart insights, to drive the smart city. Connected lighting can also be a backbone for Internet of Things functionality. Think about sensors. So my one-word question to all of you is C. Do you see the experts speak? We have a panel. I think we just have two of our three. We're waiting for the third one to join us. Let me tell you who all three are, and we hope we get the third. In just a moment, I'll be welcoming again Suzanne Seitinger. She is the Global Sub-Segment Manager for Open Spaces and Professional Systems at Philips Lighting. Obviously very appropriate for the show. We're waiting for Matthias Weiss, who's the director of SMITE, that's S-M exclamation point G-H-T, ENBW Energy Baden-Württemberg AG, and we've spoken to him previously as well on part one. And rounding out our panel is Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP. She's the global lead for future cities and Internet of Things in the SAP public sector industry. And Marlon is the sponsor of this series. Kevin, I'm talking to my engineer. Do we have Matthias yet? Do we get a hold of him? Just so I know. 
All right, Kevin will tell me in a minute. So let's get started with uh, the opening quote from Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips Lighting. She sent a quote from the Finnish designer and architect Hugo Alvar Enrique Alto, A-A-L-T-O. This is cited in Armin Go, 2009, page 25. Uh, Alto's work includes architecture, furniture, textiles, glassware, sculptures, and paintings. He never thought of himself as an artist. He saw painting and sculpture as, quote, branches of the tree whose trunk is architecture. Very, very interesting. Uh, his style is basically Nordic classicism. It morphed to international style modernism and then onward to organic modernist style. Very interesting. Here's the quote Suzanne has selected. At night, the building must sleep. The buildings must sleep. Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips Lighting. Welcome back. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much. Talk to me about the quote. I'm very intrigued. <laughs> Well, you know, this is one of these quotes that that I read many years ago in a book that I like about kind of cities and landscapes and and nighttime, which is a topic none of us really think about most of the time. You know, when when designers, creators, engineers think about creating systems, they often think of them at a certain time, you know, at a certain static moment. And I think one of the things that lighting brings into the picture is thinking about dynamic systems. It's all about how things change over time and how they adapt to what's required at a particular time. And it's also about how our environment kind of moves along with us throughout the day and night. And I think oftentimes we're, you know, most of the time we're confined to indoor environments that tend mm-hmm. to be static. And yet we, we were designed almost to be outdoors, to be in settings that are dynamic and changing, that go from bright light to cloudy days to rainy days, back to bright lights, back to dusk and, and that evening time when it's kind of not not day, not night, and then it sort of transitions into evening. And that's a whole long extended period that really is, is overlooked sometimes and, and we don't think about how our technologies, how our devices, how our routines all fit into that dynamism. And this quote by Alto just always reminds me of the fact that even those objects around us can kind of mm-hmm. accommodate change in, in really interesting and new ways. And the more we think about smart cities and smart systems that can do those things, the more I think we have an opportunity to design with this question of, you know, what, what time is it? Kevin Lynch, the famous urban planner, talked, asked, wrote a book. He said, what time is this place? And I think this question of time and nighttime and and how our smart city systems really take that into account is a key aspect um, that smart lighting really does does raise. So, so that's that's my my thought for for the day on that one. Thank you very much. We're still trying to get Matthias, by the way, Marlon. Uh, his number is, is working, but not very well, so he's going to try calling us. But, Suzanne, before I either go to Matthias's opening quote or skip over to Marlon a second, I have a question for you. My opening quote, what I call the buzz, Suzanne, from Alex yeah. Dimitrov, was I'll never get over the fact that the buildings all light up at night. So how does that gel with, with, with Alto well, said, at night the buildings that. must sleep? 
Go ahead. Talk to me. <laughs> no, I was thinking about it because it, because it's both, right? I mean, lighting up versus going to sleep might not be mutually exclusive, right? So I think the point is that you're, you're transitioning. You're, you're doing something different. So, you know, during the day, light comes from sky, you know, we have sunlight, etc. And in the evening, you start to transform the cityscape. And, and that is a sort of a mix of, 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 you know, certain areas also going to sleep and maybe other areas waking up, right? Think about, I mean, you're in, your, you're in New York, right? So think about the mm-hmm. differences between Midtown and Times Square in, the, in that transition phase. And, and suddenly one area goes to sleep and another area wakes up and, and the lights are sort of a, an indicator almost of, of activity and, and life after dark. So I think there's a there's an interesting parallel actually in those two quotes because I think they're talking about similar things. They're talking about the rhythms of a place. They're talking about how um, our technologies really enable us to take advantage of different parts of the city at different times, um, whether that relates to economic activity or to uh, entertainment or arts or whatever else might be going on in, in different parts of, of a city. And, you know, increasingly planners and, are, and city leaders are thinking about how to take advantage of the infrastructures that they have on a much more regular basis so that, you know, a, a city is lively at all different times, but with different kinds of appropriate activities for, for those times. And that's the kind of thing that I think is enabled by new technology that wasn't as easy in the past because you really had to kind of set yourself up for a particular um, use or for a particular, you had to optimize for a particular use, or at least that's what we thought. And I think now we're becoming much more adept at making spaces and environments that are flexible, that are adaptive, that are able to accommodate all these all these changes. So lighting is, is one of the ways that is, the, you know, I think one of the strongest signals that you can send to people about what kinds of and what kinds of atmospheres or what kind of atmosphere you want to create in a place. So, so I think I think these things are two sides of the same coin. Thank you, quotes. Susan. Very very interesting. I appreciate the the extended explanation. And and yes, I was curious because they seem to be opposite. And, and you're right; they are two sides of the same coin. And you know, when we do this topic, I just want to burst out into song, but I will spare you singing <laughs> singing Debbie well, Boone. We don't have Lady like... Gaga on today, but <laughs> no, no, know. no, Lady Gaga. My mine would be us. Lady O. Mine would be Lady Oh No, and I want to sing Debbie Boone's "You Light Up My Life," but I'm not going to. Marlon <laughs> Zelkowitz is up next. Marlon has sent us a very interesting quote from. Plato, you all remember back in the day, well, you might not have met him, but he was a philosopher in classical Greece and the founder of the Academy in Athens, the first institution of higher learning in the Western world. Uh, Interesting fact, Marlon, unlike nearly all of his philosophical contemporaries, Plato's entire body of work is believed to have survived intact for over 2,400 years. So bravo to Plato. Here's the quote Marlon has selected. We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. That's deep, Marlon. That's really deep. How are you? Welcome back, Marlon. How are you doing? 
I'm doing really well, thank you. Delighted to delighted to have this show just after an exciting events down in Sapphire last week. Oh, absolutely. Talk about lighting up the world. So Marlon, talk to me about this quote from Plato and, and by the way, Matthias is with us. We'll we'll talk to him after we finish Marlon's quote. So Marlon, interesting quote from Plato. We've got the concept of light and dark and it's it's a lot more than smart lighting in the city. Tell me how you picked this one. Well, I picked this one perhaps thinking about all of the all of what's happening in the world and how light is also often a metaphor for knowledge, right? And light is shining a light is to enlighten, is to bring forth ideas and to try to bring forth um, facts into the world, trying to open minds and also encourage uh, encourage discussion or debate. And I was thinking that. It seems in this world we could use a bit more light and openness in the world, and uh, I think there's places where we, we see that happening, but I, I, feel, I just feel very strongly that so much good comes from being able to see more light, and if we're in the darkness, we, we often have a hard time trying to find ourselves or find our way to, a, whether it's a smart city or whatever, and it kind of, um, while I was listening to Suzanne's comments, it made me think about one of the times in, in my own city of Washington, D.C., where I was driving through a very dark park, which has no streetlights, and it's in, even though you know the roads well, it's very easy to get turned around and not be able to navigate and to find yourself in, in parts unknown in the middle of a, of a major city in the world just because of a lack of light. So I was also thinking about that and thinking that, you know, the rhythms of the city and the rhythms of a place can be drastically altered, indeed, by the lack of light. The lack of light. There you go. Thank you very much. And we are pleased now to welcome our third panelist. We finally got through. It's Matthias Weiss, director of Smite, S-M, exclamation point, G-H-T. And Matthias has sent us a quote from Thomas Jefferson. You all remember, American founding father, principal author of the Declaration of Independence, and third president of the U.S. from 1801 to 1809, as well as the second vice president of the U.S. under John Adams, previously from 1797 to 1801. That was probably his uh, practicing to be president, I'm guessing. So here is the quote from Thomas Jefferson. If you want something you've never had, you must be willing to do something you've never done. Matthias Weiss, welcome back. How are you? Hi. Uh, I'm fine. Thank you very much. And, uh, it was a hard ride to make it into the show, <laughs> but finally we, we did it. And uh, I'm glad to be with you today um, for the Game Changers Smart City. Thank you, Matthias. Tell me about this quote from Thomas Jefferson. Why don't you tell us what it has to do with smart cities and smart lighting? Well, um, in my experience, you know, uh, smart cities are a very wide um, uh, range of issues, and uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff that has to be done. And... Cities and communities as well in their administration, they are organized, organized in, in verticals, and uh, so um, they have uh, to change uh, to make uh, them a real smart city. They have to change uh, the ways of uh, uh, how departments work together, and um, they have to, to redesign organizations because um, uh, they will not make it uh, into the smart city if they if they're not doing that. 
So because some smart city is something we didn't have before. If we would like to have it, we have to change a lot and we have to do things um, which we didn't do before. Thank you, Matthias. Very, very interesting. Um, you, you missed, I know you were trying to get into us. Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips is back with us, Phillips Lighting, and she quoted the Finnish designer and architect Hugo Alto, and the quote there was, at night the buildings must sleep. And then Marlon Zelkowitz from SAP quoted Plato about, we can forgive a child afraid of the dark. The tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light, which is kind of a, 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 an extension or a stretch of what's happening in smart cities. So we're very pleased to have you with us, Matthias. I'm going to circle back to Suzanne. We'll go back to our planned order of Suzanne, then Matthias, and then Marlon. Suzanne, we'd love to know where you are today, I can ask you what kind of a drink is lighting up your life right now while you're on the show. That was a stretch, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Or what are you planning to drink after the show? Suzanne? Uh, well, I, I'm in Boston today, so I'm on the east coast of the U.S. It's, it's midday, so middle of the day. So I am still, I'm drinking some some warm tea today. Um, it's a little chillier than it had been. Uh, last week, and uh, and I'm also been I've been confined to to tea at the moment because mm. I guess you could ask not what's in my glass but what's in the oven because I'm expecting twins. So I have been oh. figuring out all kinds of exciting things that like mocktails and the like that make you feel like you're uh, <laughs> hanging out with the with with your friends and and having a social time, but not needing to you know. Uh, drink any specific uh, cocktail. So uh, that's apparently a big thing now. All these uh, new local restaurants have have cool mocktails with all kinds of fancy homemade, uh, you know, things that they that they add that you know different kinds of syrups and other stuff. So I've been enjoying exploring that, and frankly, not missing um, the other stuff. So so it's been it's been a good uh, it's been a fun couple of months. I think that's what a Shirley Temple is. Remember, Suzanne? Little girls go to totally, restaurants. Exactly. And, and now these are hip, hip Shirley Temples. <laughs> <laughs> hip Shirley Temples. I like that. Matthias, where are you and what are you drinking today? Uh, right now I'm in <clears throat> Germany, um, in uh, the Heidelberg area, which is in the southwest of Germany. And uh, as you maybe already mentioned, I'm German <laughs> because uh, my... English is not that perfect, but I think it will work. And um, in my glass is uh, some usual boring water, which I pimped up with some, uh, what you call it, uh, shepherd powder for my kids. And um, this was interesting because uh, this is a kind of a retro product. Uh, the brand of the, the powder uh, was very big when I was a little kid, and um, the brand disappeared from the market. And, you know, all the retro trends are going on um, in uh, different segments of uh, the market. And, um, you know, they reactivated that powder brand. And uh, now my kids are using that stuff. And uh, I did get some and uh, pimped up my water with uh, some orange um, flavor. Ooh, that sounds very interesting. Very interesting. Thank you very much, Matthias, and we're delighted to have you. And you sound fine, by the way. Thank goodness. And Marlon Zelkowitz returned, uh, as I did, from Sapphire Now recently. Marlon, where are you today? Are you back in D.C.? And what are you drinking? 
I am back in Washington, D.C. Like Suzanne, I'm enjoying or perhaps experiencing cooler than normal weather and some rain and drizzle, so I've got a jasmine tea in my cup today. Very good. Was Sapphire good for you, Marlon? It was fabulous. Just a wonderful event. We even had a Smart City showcase there on the right by the keynote uh, theater. It was fabulous. Wonderful very much. I'm glad. Very, very glad. And um, I'm glad you're back. Yes, it was quite an experience for me, Marlon. I I, uh, was in a a kind of a makeshift studio. We had an office in the back on the south end of the Orlando Conference Center. And I had a wonderful support team from the strategic partner marketing team and Ryan Treasure, the vice president of technology. And uh, he's just my main guru at World Talk Radio was our audio engineer. And we had support from Brad Borkin. I think you know him and Cindy Morell and Christine Evans and Carolyn Brock at SAP was our social media guru. And they made sure we were streaming audio and video. Marlon, I never knew that more than 6,000 people would want to see videos of me doing radio. But as of Thursday morning, we, we had over 6,000 views. And I said to them, really? Just watching us sit there? And, yeah, apparently people wanted to watch and see what radio looks like. So there you go. So as the three of you know from the last time, they do not let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And you're our second show today. So there you go. I'm only drinking cool, clear water. Matthias, I don't have any flavoring in it. It's just from a Brita filter in a cool, clear mug, but I have a pink straw because, like Marlon, I'm having a little bit of the ah, grayish. It rained all day and all night here in New York, but it's dried out sunny today, and we're very optimistic. So to our listeners, I want you to make sure you don't think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You're listening to You Light Up My Life, and you do just because you're you. Smart City, Smart Lighting Part 2. We have Suzanne Seitinger from Philips Lighting, Matthias Weiss from Smite, and Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP. So, we'll be right back. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly city and local government leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as increased citizen and business demands for digital services, a growing variety of digital devices and sensors causing a data deluge, and increased volatility in politics and environment, coupled with constrained resources. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Game-changing Smart Cities of the Future is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You're listening to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future. Yes, indeed. Here we are. The future is here right now, and we are changing the game with Suzanne Seitinger at Philips Lighting with Matthias Weiss at Smite SM! 
GHT and Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP Public Sector Industry focused on future cities and the Internet of Things. We are going to look at some speaking notes here Suzanne Seitinger sent me before the show. And here's an interesting topic we're going to talk about. Suzanne says light and economic development are inextricably linked. I'm just going to stop there. And Suzanne, why don't you enlighten us, please? Oh, I like that. Enlighten us. Go ahead. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, Bonnie. <laughs> um, the metaphors are rampant. Um, yeah, this is one of my favorite um, topics, you know, because I think one of the things that we need to understand or that, that, that's important to, think, to understand about lighting is that it has a great deal of impact on how people experience a place. And when it comes to topics like economic development, a lot of folks are increasingly investing in providing the frameworks and the spaces and the <clears throat> context that really drive business. And that could be all kinds of things. You know, business really in the broadest sense from uh, evening uh, activities, from restaurants, from commercial activities, um, different kinds of venues that have all kinds of things from concerts through local events, through just different kinds of presentations, whatever it might be. So all of these things come together uh, and really contribute to making place. And light is one of those things that plays a key role in that, even though it's sort of subtle and in the background, almost like you would set the scene for a stage play or something like that. So light really provides a, a, a basis for economic development, and we've looked at that in, in different parts of the world. For example, Little Rock, Arkansas, really enhanced its waterfront development when it relit the bridges that cross the Arkansas River. So there mm-hmm. they have this huge um, concert venue, and then in addition with the lighting events around the bridges, they've actually drawn millions of additional people to the downtown area over time. They also link it, for example, with different conventions and other events going on. Or another project that happened in in San Francisco called the Bay Lights, where many, many restaurants set up shop, really rearranging almost how their tables were set up so that people could see the Bay Lights project by artist Leo Villarreal from their tables. And they would book reservations specifically to see that artwork. And, and that's really a very direct connection between, uh, you know, activity um, being driven directly through something that, that has an artistic and lighting uh, quality to it. And so, you know, I think these are, this is a topic that incre- needs increasing attention and because it really is, is beyond the functional. It, it's in that atmospheric mm-hmm. um, a- area that, that's starting to play a more important role when it comes to smart cities. You remind me, before I bring in Matthias and Marlene, you remind me of an episode I saw yesterday, Suzanne, on, what was it, uh, I think it was CBS Sunday Morning, Jane Pauley was based in Amsterdam, and she was talking about the city, but bringing in segments, uh, for example, she talked about Bette Midler returning to Broadway and Hello Dolly, yada, 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 but she showed, and, and this is right on our topic, and right what you're talking about, I, a, a Dutch designer, I'm looking up to see if I can find his name, he's an artist who creates out of packing tape. He creates uh-huh. portraits of famous people. And what does he do? He climbs up, literally shimmies up the light poles, which look like mm-hmm. old-fashioned street lamps, and he attaches his artwork to the side of the light. Typically, they are stolen before daylight. They are valuable. Some of them are worth $20,000. Oh, my God. But he... 
and he creates it all out of brown packing tape with a sharp edge cutter and and little bits and pieces you would not believe that he's not using a liquid media or medium like paint or something i'll look him up and find the name but he puts them on the lights and people know to look up at the street lights in amsterdam and see oh so and so that's his newest work of art and they're usually snatched so i was just absolutely delighted to watch he's very talented by the way so thank you suzanne matthias weiss we We'd love to have you comment on what Suzanne just introduced for our, on our topic. Yeah, that's completely right. Um, to uh, to bring more attraction to to, to cities and uh, the city centers, and uh, this is important uh, for the, the economics and uh, all the business uh, going on there. And uh, light is an important thing to to uh, get the right atmosphere to these places and those areas. And um, so in the smart city context, uh, the, the lights are even more important because, um, as you know, they are already on, in the place. You know, the, the old-fashioned ones, they can be replaced with LED lightning. But um, today we are able to, to add uh, different functions um, into the street lighting poles, uh, which make the places and the cities... Um, more attractive with additional services like uh, public Wi-Fi or um, security systems uh, to to make the people feel safer. And um, so street lighting um, is a very important uh, thing cities have to look for and uh, um, get an idea of uh, what they can do with uh, street lighting. And uh, this is not only light anymore. You know, um, we call lampposts, uh, which are only able um, to to bring out light, uh, we call them humble lampposts because uh, they're just uh, lighting. And in a smart city, they can do more and they should do more. And everybody who thinks about street lighting in the city um, should think about more than just light. Thank you very much. And by the way, Marlon, before you chime in here, I did find the gentleman's name is Max Zorn, Z-O-R-N. I found an article from 2012 with a video in DutchDailyNews.com. Amsterdam street artist Max Zorn creates art portraits made of packing tape. And there's a video. Very, very interesting. And he, he puts them on flexible plexiglass and uses translucent tape and a cutter and you can see him at work. I'm going to post the link. Marlon, talk about the functionality of, of lighting fixtures just like we've been talking about and, and the, the artistic draw as part of the smart city. Marlon? Well, I, that's an, a really interesting concept. So what you see right now today, many streets have, many old cities, especially older cities, have these artistic lampposts that are really beautiful but they have very old style lights. Yet the cities are quite proud of that the way they look. They, you know, it reflects their economic development over time. And so, what they're trying, some cities are trying to figure out if they have these sort of neighborhoods, how can they use smarter lights? Maybe use that to house other devices, as we heard Matthias mention. Uh, whether that's, uh, you know, whether that's cameras to make people feel safe, or, or heaven forbid, you need shot gunshot detectors, or whether you also put in um, public Wi-Fi. I think we're seeing some of that. So. That makes the capability for people to communicate much greater. It, it makes the capacity greater, and people feel safe and then are more willing to be out and about. So mm-hmm. all of that is happening. 
now in, in many cities also. You see this trend towards um, finding ways to, to implement their lights and to, to put in new lights, and, and not just in cities, but also on, on major highways to try to make them more smart and also be more sensitive so that you're not always, the light might not always be on if there's nobody or no motion in the area, but they might brighten up when people move in the area and dim down when people are moving or cars or other device, other motion is, is moving away from it. So these are some of the kinds of things you're seeing in terms of promoting or encouraging economic development, better public safety and, and the streetlights. Thank you very much, Marlon. And by the way, I have to do a shout-out to my colleagues at the Digitalist magazine at SAP. They just posted a video from CBSNews.com about the Dutch artist Max Zorn and his artwork that highlights the lighting in the cities in Amsterdam. So thank you very much. That's Stephen Thorne listening and tweeting. And he says, great smart cities discussion here on our show, Marlon, shining a light on smart lighting and IoT now. Thank you very much, Stephen Thorne. Good conversation. Suzanne Seitinger. Phillips. I'm going to let you wrap this one up while I look for another topic in Matthias's notes. So, Suzanne, anything else you want to expand on this? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that, that I've been thinking about a lot is how to help communities, um, you know, whether it's civic leaders or others, make sure that they that they think about lighting. And usually, what I what I tell them is that you know they should think about these things early on in their design and planning process. So, think about lighting. Right from the get-go, it shouldn't be an afterthought when you're doing a, a new neighborhood plan or a new district plan. Um, and then the second point, I think, is really think about light as something dynamic, like we talked about at the beginning of the session, and really think about it as something that can augment all of the other activities that are already going on. Then the other topic that I'd like to raise is around brand and brand communication, and really Think of it as a way to communicate both what's important to your neighborhood or your community, um, but also what's happening at that particular moment. And then, you know, use all the partnerships you have at your disposal, whether that's institutions in your neighborhood or other kinds of organizations like universities, and bring them into the mix and, and work with them to also activate those spaces. So you think about those four things from starting with light early, thinking about the dynamism, and then using it as a communications tool to bring in other partners, I think you've really got some great seeds there for using smart lighting to drive economic development. Thank you very much, Suzanne. And Matthias Weiss, I'm looking at your notes here where we're going to cover, let's see, some very interesting things here that you talked about. Um, let me see, let me see, let me see. Uh, Streetlights will be the most important infrastructure in future cities. I'm going to give you a choice what you want to explore, Matthias. You say the evolutionary evolution of street lighting will be exemplary for other urban infrastructures. Let's talk about that. W- what will be exemplary about it, Matthias? Um, exemplary will be um, that uh, the streetlights as an infrastructure will do have uh, many, many more functions um, than they used to um, build up um, early years ago. Um, to use infrastructure in uh, more than just one way. And i give you an example. Um, next to street lighting, which is um, the infrastructure for uh, EV charging, Mm-hmm. Um, today we built up EV charters, and uh, they are only make, made for um, charging electric vehicles, and that's it. Uh, they got no, no additional functions. And, uh, you know, 
street lighting is in every city and every street. Um, you find them all over the place. And we are asking the questions, what can they do more? So, and we have to think about other infrastructures in the same way. What can an EV charger do more than just uh, charge electric cars? And um, because of that, the street lighting will be um, a very good example and uh, a pioneering thing is going on on infrastructure in the street lighting. And uh, um, it'll be something you will find in other infrastructures in the next years also that people and manufacturers and uh, suppliers will think about um, additional functions, additional values out of their technology, which used to be ma- which was made for only one function, and um, they will get more out of it. Thank you very much, Matthias. Marlon, love to get your thoughts on this. This is really smart lighting. We can, it can be used for things like charging points for electric vehicles and, and other uses that are part of the infrastructure of the evolving smart city. Marlon, observations, please. Yeah, I think that the question that I have always gets in, we all have these ideas, but how do we make it real? And who are the people who are driving these kinds of activities today? Um, one of the, one of the uh, having worked in public sector for many years, one fact I know is there's a, a long tenure among the people working in the lighting departments and maintenance and other parts of, of any city, not maybe at the political levels, but at the level where operations take place. So if we want to be thinking about changing the way we do lights, how do you bring these new ideas to people who are accustomed to doing their work a certain way and get those embraced and, and really adopted more broadly in, in a city, especially when it may cost both time and energy, pardon the pun about the energy and lights, mm. and also maybe some career risk because you're doing something new that hasn't been done a lot, and so there could be some some backlash if, as in, for example, think about the Link NYC project, which wasn't about lighting, but about public Wi-Fi, where people were using the public Wi-Fi in ways that the city had not imagined, and there was a little bit of, uh, let's just say, egg on the mayor's face when he found out Mm. that young people underage were doing things that their parents probably wouldn't approve of with those Wi-Fi signals. So, So you think about the same thing in terms of the smart lighting and driving it out there, and also it brings up a whole host of questions in my mind about the security of those endpoints and making sure that you're really putting in place appropriate security to protect both the citizens as well as the rest of the network you're connected to for smart lighting. Thank you, Marlon. Very interesting. Suzanne, love to circle around to you and get your thoughts on what Matthias started a few minutes ago in our discussion. Yeah, no, it really resonated with me because this idea of doing more with the infrastructures that are in place, I think, is is a key theme, and it, and it relates back to some of what we talked about earlier around creating environments and spaces and buildings and lighting that actually can accommodate many different kinds of activities. That it's we no longer live in a in a time and place, you know, where we can afford to not real, you know, not use all of the infrastructures at our disposal to their fullest. Uh, why create a single purpose space, right? If you can actually use that space in a multitude of ways, and a lot of the new disruptive technologies and business models that are out there are about finding these new opportunities that really come from thinking in a smart way about how to say reuse the lighting infrastructure to provide other kinds of insights. So like work um, that's been done around 
sensor integration and finding out how that provides you with deeper insights about a about an environment. That's exactly the kind of thinking that will that will um, lead to new opportunities. And as Marlon pointed out, that's not without risk. But I think um, that's exactly the point here: is that that there is uh, this is the time to start working with that and. I think when it comes to technology, one of the things we sometimes overlook is that we assume the technology itself will be so exciting that people will just want to sign on. You know, we're all geeks here. We want to go down that path. But I think what Marlon said about how it needs to be part of the work that the city wants to do, and in a way it needs to be more related, I think, to the goals of the of the city and, and, and the teams that are part of the city administration. So less focusing on the nitty-gritty of the technology and more focusing on providing new kinds of services. So you know, we work a lot with cloud-based services that are becoming increasingly accepted by, by government, um, and those provide a level of flexibility that might not have been possible with earlier uh, IT or earlier tech systems. Here now we can really leverage all these new tools and then create systems that are much more flexible and, and adaptive once they go out into the field. Thank you very much, Suzanne. Matthias, anything you want to add to this before I move on to a, another very interesting topic from Marlon? Matthias? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, uh, you're completely right. This is, uh, you know, thinking in that way and, uh, you know, um, realizing projects with new technologies like I described, um, you know, are, are kind of risky, but, um, you know, there are chances and opportunities also. And one of them is uh, that the cities and the communities will be able to, to earn money with those added values and uh, this um, added functionalities. And uh, street lighting before was infrastructure. They only had to put money in for all the energy and all the maintenance. So now they are switching to LED luminaires. So they reduced reduce the costs of, for energy and maintenance, but they still only have to pay. And, uh, you know, with the increasement we are doing with additional functions, they will be able to uh, design business models. Uh, they will get a lot of information out of the system, so they can work with that information. And um, so they really create the first time in street lighting's history uh, value, which will enable them to, to make money out of this infrastructure. And uh, this is a big chance also, uh, which um, is becoming attractive for, for cities and communities. Thank you, Matthias. Uh, Marlon, I want to go to a slightly different aspect of this topic. You say climate change agreements to improve sustainability, including reducing carbon emissions and improving air quality, are a key driver for smart cities. And then you say smart lighting, here's the link, Smart lighting helps cities achieve their carbon reduction goals. Can you connect those dots for us, please, Marlon? Well, absolutely. So one of the things we see is many cities are looking at using more efficient sorts of lighting. So rather than the, the old kinds of lighting, you know, you think about the evolution from gaslight to various electrical forms of, of, of devices. And I know Susan and, and Matthias know the, the various forms of luminaires that exist today. Um, but they're moving more towards using LED lighting that is much more cost efficient um, over time and redu reduces the consumption of electricity, which reduces then the carbon footprint of a particular city. 
and because they're also able to connect this to a to a network and monitor it and manage it more efficiently and effectively, it frees up resources for the city to be able to deploy to other activities. And so you're seeing these savings being, um, whether it's deployed into um, monitoring, for example, using that same light and adding a carbon sensor and, and monitoring the carbon emissions so that you can then see what's happening in a particular part of the city and better manage that as well. But it was a very big driver, I think, earlier on in, in Europe where many cities, and, and a few in the United States um, also, I think uh, down in the Southern California areas like Chula Vista was an early city to, to embrace these carbon reduction initiatives, as was uh, San Diego and that whole um, green tech and clean tech group, but we, we found that it was perhaps embraced more broadly in uh, in Europe because of the embracing the climate change accords, and, and actually there's a whole host of questions about what, what the future of that would mean. Will that change some of the um, initiative and some of the drive to, to, re- to adopt smart lighting and other sorts of projects of that kind to both reduce your carbon footprint, but also to use that light as another uh, means towards becoming a a smarter city. Does that make sense? Thank you. Yeah, it does. Very interesting concept. Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips Lighting, I'm going to circle around to you and get your thoughts on what Marlon just shared. Suzanne? Yeah, I mean, the the freeing up of of resources in order to do do other things or the, the efficiency of these new technologies really is what's driving a lot of the initial um, transition over to two new kinds of lighting technology, right? So like you said, Marlon, it, it really is now, now is the time, and, and cities are, are benefiting from that return on investment right away. So you know, we're seeing cities from Los Angeles to Buenos Aires where, where we partnered with SAP uh, on, on creating these new um, large networks of, of street lighting that really are being, that are transformative for, for places. Um, and at the same time, that's opening up new new opportunities that that maybe the that weren't really available to them before, and and that's in the form of savings that then can be linked in with other bigger um, bigger focus areas, and especially the broader energy efficiency goals that mayors have put forth. So um, we partner um, with the U.S. Conference of Mayors, and they are, you know, continuously driving home um, not just energy efficiency but also climate goals, and it repeatedly comes up as a, as a key factor, and they're doing it in more and more creative ways. So it's, it's very interesting to see how they're, you know, using lighting to kickstart these programs, and then it's all adding up to a bigger picture as they're looking at their other systems uh, across the city, indoor, outdoor buildings, other infrastructures, and that's really adding up to make a difference because cities are, are leading in many ways on some of these efforts because they just want to deliver for their citizens, and, and so they see that directly linking in with the priorities that and the mandate that they're getting from their citizens. Thank you very much. Matthias, love your thoughts Um, again, what Marlon just shared with us. Matthias Weiss? Yeah, well, that's nothing much to add, but it's completely right. You know, seeing um, old traffic luminaires through LED technology makes you able to save energy up to 80%. And uh, we had a lot of projects over here in, in, in Germany doing that. And, you know, with the modern technology, uh, you are able to, to control the luminaires um, even by demand. Uh, we realized, and I have to pass one to Philips on, 
on this point. Uh, we realized uh, some projects with um, uh, uh, luminaires with sensors inside which um, uh, detect uh, movement. So if there's no movement on the street, they, they are dimming down to only 20% of uh, um, their usual power. And uh, if there are some detections, um, they go up to 100% um, of uh, the luminaire power. And um, so the energy you can save with systems like that and uh, in technology are enormous. And, um, you know, there's another um, nice effect, uh, which I think um, is not um, provided that much, is uh, with LED technology, you know, the light comes down to the street and uh, mm -hmm. the, the light is not going up into the sky. So there's much less uh, light pollution, uh, which is a very nice effect also. Thank you very much. Interesting. Marlon, you started quite an interesting conversation. Marlon, we're almost oh, about three minutes away from our predictions part of the show, but I wanted to cover one more thing with you briefly. We may just get to your comments. You say smart lighting in a city often refers to outdoor lighting, and then you add outdoor lighting accounts for 40% of a municipality's electric light bill and, of course, requires expensive labor-intensive maintenance. So what's the other 60%, Marlon? Should I say just 40%? Well, there's also indoor lighting, right? If you think of right. all the different buildings. And um, if you think of the, there, there's publicly owned buildings in a city. There's privately owned buildings in a city. Um, within the public space, you have all the government buildings, all the schools. Um, within the quasi-public space or public-private space, you may have universities. Um, you may have museums. You may have, um, you may have arts, perform performing arts centers and so forth. All of those have lights indoors. Many of them have, have events that are taking place. Um, I think of my, my nieces going off to school, and it's still dark when they go off to school. And, of course, they have to have the schools all lit up. And, and uh, for when it's a cold day, they need to have them heated as well. So all of that is another is additional consumption of, the, of energy and of power. And so one of the things, I think this gets back to the point that Suzanne made at the beginning about lighting and economic development, but if you think about about what that enabled us to do in, in terms of adjusting our working hours or our educational hours because we had electrical lighting as opposed to relying mm -hmm. on just the sunlight and where we are in, in terms of our, our latitude and, you know, what, how much light, daylight there is, how this has really made a big effect and probably led to great productivity gains and incredible progress in society. So I, I kind of think that light has been an incredible incubator of, of innovation in the world. It, it has. And Marlon, I'm thinking of so many movies we see of the early days of colonial America, for example. And Matthias, my comment on, on perhaps they do this in Europe as well, seeing children, uh, children who grew up to be brilliant statesmen or authors or artists, they show them studying late into the night by the light of a candle while the family sleeps nearby. Remember those movies, Marlon? We saw so much of oh, that. I sure do. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> so I'm just going to, uh, I think we're already, uh, Matthias, you want to comment on that quickly? Because we are ready to go to our predictions round. Do you see movies about early days in, I'll say, colonial Europe or non-colonial Europe where they were studying by either the light of the streetlight or the candlelight apart from the family? Matthias, do you see those as well? Well, I don't know movies like that, but actually I think that's to do with people, also not 
know what, Matthias? Your phone line is so bad, it's just a bunch of garble. So we're going to save your voice and see if we can get you for the predictions. But thank you. If you email me, I'll post something about what you said about the movies in Europe. Now, Suzanne Seit and Jared Phillips, it's time for our predictions round. Let's see if we can look, ha, see, ha, ahead to smart lighting around the year 2020. What will change? Will we still be talking about it at all? Will it just be lighting and not smart lighting? Will it just be cities and not smart cities? Suzanne Seitinger, 60 seconds. Seconds prediction, please tell us. Well, Marlon, I, I do think we'll still ha- be talking about this this issue. I think we'll be talking about smart lighting, but I think what we'll be seeing is is a proliferation of new ways that we encounter light. We're going to see light integrated into our environments in new ways. We're going to see street lights uh, put out into the field that are that are different that provide light where it's needed. When it's needed, we're going to see new kinds of services that are enabled by that light, uh, and people are going to understand that, that the lighting is, is helping them with, with those services, whether it's about better traffic information or environmental information or other kinds of data. And I think that's not too far off. So, so you know, 2020, 2025, uh, 2030, that's, that's when these things are going to become part of our everyday life. Thank you, Suzanne. And Matthias, I'm hoping we can understand you. The line got really bad a moment ago. Matthias, try to give us your prediction. If it's not going well and we can't understand, I'll just say thank you and we'll, we'll cut you off because we can't hear it. But Matthias, give it a try. Nope. Matthias, I'm, I'm going to say thank you. We, we cannot understand. The line has degraded, but hopefully next time you come on, we'll have a much better phone line for you. Marlon, I can give you an extra. Well, why don't you take two minutes for your predictions, Ms. Zelkowitz? Well, I think Suzanne is right on point that light will start helping with many different services, and we'll start seeing that those light posts being the sort of the housing factor of for many different different kinds of smart things in cities. I also think that the the connectivity network from electricity is an alternative to the telecom network for communicating and bringing the data from the edge into um, maybe to an edge computing kind of a capability for analyzing it and then into a perhaps into a digital core for further actions. The other thing I think we're going to see by 2020 is you're not just going to see smart lighting and, and smarter street lights in just the major cities, but I think you're going to start seeing them both in the smaller Cities, smaller towns, maybe the second-tier cities in, in developing countries or developed countries and maybe developing countries, as well as starting to see more of these kinds of smart lightings, maybe not with all of the bells and whistles, but with some of them, like the EV chargers, you're going to start seeing them on highways, right? Like, do we need to have the highway lit the entire night, or do we maybe need to have the highway lit when, the, when a uh, long-haul um, driver, a cross-country driver, is going through that area. So they, you want it to be light when they're going through, and then it becomes dark. And, oh, maybe there will be some sensors in there that will keep that car, maybe it's a self-driving car or partially autonomous vehicle, on the road. And will slow it down if a deer crosses it because it senses the deer and it helps the car avoid the accident. And you're going to see more and more of those kinds of of smart technologies, and I think you're going to see them moving not just from the big city but into the smaller cities and and beginning to touch some of the the less populated areas, more rural areas. I think we have more of that in the in the u s than you do in a in the heavily densely populated areas in Europe, for example. 
Thank you very much, Marlon. We are at the end of our time here. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, Suzanne was right. I'm hitting all the bad metaphors here today. But thank you for tolerating them. Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips, I hope you're feeling well. We're excited to hear what your production schedule will be this summer. Hope you're well. And thanks for joining us. Uh Uh-huh. Alluding to the twins. Matthias Weiss, thank you so much for joining us. We will get you on a better phone line. We certainly tried, but we'll see what we can do for next time. Marlon Zelkowitz. Marlon, quickly. What's coming up on your next show in a couple weeks? you have a topic yet? We do. We have a part two on public safety, bringing back our speakers from, uh, from IDC, from SAP, and from our third speaker was from Hitachi. Wonderful. Good. Very, very good. I did speak to somebody from Hitachi at Sapphire as well. So, Suzanne Seitinger, Mattia Weiss, Marlon Zalkowitz, thank you very much. And to our, and thank you to Kevin, our engineer. And here's my call to action for our listeners. Fasten your seatbelt. Turn the light on. There's a new one. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Suzanne. Just like Matthias, just like Mark Marlon Zelkowitz, I have a special edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers right here at the Business Channel, 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow, May 24th. Uh, I will be presenting roll-ins from six of our interviews at Sapphire on the theme, What's Keeping Your C-Suite Awake at Night? You don't want to miss this. Signing out, Bonnie D. Graham. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future. Presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.